Hi Saints, um, we decided to do a nice study of the book of Samuel, or the two books of Samuel. It was actually originally one book, um, and later on it was divided into two for some reason. And um, so there's theories about the origins of uh, what we now have as one Samuel and two Samuel in the Bible. So we've decided to do over the course of three Sundays that we are in Uganda, we've decided to do a study and a look at uh, this very, very interesting and very important part of the Bible. The most important um, aspects to the books of Samuel is probably because it is the establishing of the monarchy in, um, in Israel. And uh, uh, this signifies a huge change that mm. takes place in the Bible um, narrative in, in the story of the Jews and, and the God yeah. Yahweh. Bible history, it's a exactly. turning point. <laughs> huge turning point. Um, and there's some huge characters in here. So... The first thing, uh, most sources agree that uh, it was probably one volume mm. originally. There's other theories that says that um, it's a compilation of different sources and mm. different things that was written down. Mm. Yeah, um, some sources say that it serves... Um, in the same way that the books of Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and so forth would serve as a sense of their records, historical records of where the people come from and what happened, what was significant um, in terms of the nation of Israel. But, yeah. Exactly. So, just background on it, who wrote uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel? There's no, not enough evidence um, mm. to determine for sure who wrote it. Mm. So the possibilities would be that after Samuel's death, mm. um, different uh, people chronicled, different mm. uh, authors chronicled uh, what happened. I think more feasible uh, could be that Samuel at least wrote yeah. some of the first chapters because he dies in chapter 25, so he mm. probably didn't write what happened afterwards. He <laughs> could have been Samuel, it's possible. Um, but so we can safely consider that he could have wrote everything up till about chapter 25. Yeah. Possible or most likely authors after that would have been Nathan. Yeah, the prophet Nathan. Prophet Nathan. Who walks closely with King David as well. Yeah, and Gad. Yeah, the prophet Gad. Okay. So, we, we really don't know. What we do know is that there's um, very cleverly and very specifically, mm. whoever wrote this, whoever compiled it, um, had a prophetic understanding and a prophetic purpose Definitely. in the way that they are authoring this mm. and wording it. Which is why many scholars um, believe that it was, even if it wasn't all written by one prophet, was written by a number of prophets, specifically because of the prophetic revelation and insight that it holds. That's right. So in this study we are going to build up 
to the revelation of the prophetic side mm. of, of what is hidden in the books. Um, That'll happen on Sunday number three. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to also enjoy looking at the man, yes. the prophet. And um, let's challenge you with the question straight out. Let's ask them. So what was Samuel the prophet's most important prophetic word? What is the most important prophecy that is contained in the writings of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel? So let's see if you guys can figure that out. Okay. Firstly, let's talk about the, um, the significance of this prophet, mm. Samuel. Mm. Um, for those who have studied his work, studied the, the two uh, volumes, Samuel becomes significant mm. um, very quickly without one realizing or even focusing on Samuel. Samuel mm. becomes significant. <laughs> Um, let's just um, yeah, I think contrast him a little bit. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, if you just take, even before we do that, just Samuel, we know, is is important just because of the time that he's mm. alive and and has been appointed as the prophet of God. I mean, he's the the prophet who who anoints the kings, and um, and so forth. So his life is is. When you think of his life, automatically you think of King Saul and King David, great figures mm. in their own right and in their own way, but in, in biblical history. So, so just considering that, um, there's a, a, a greatness to his life, mm. just in that kind of milieu. Exactly. <laughs> and we have to remember that he's primarily judge. Yes. Which is also what makes him such a, a superbly interesting character, because he's both a judge and prophet. And while many of the other judges were were prophetic, because they had to hear from God, obviously, mm. so there was a a prophet role that they also fulfilled. But I think Samuel, more than any of the others, uh, completely fills a prophet role or a seer role, because mm. they refer to him as that. But so mm. he's both seer and and judge. Daniel, for instance, um, is not considered to be a judge as such. He's a prophetic figure. Mm, and an important one, by the way. Very. Um, and, and his interaction, Daniel, for instance, his interaction with the rest of the nation is minimal. Yeah. He's almost, him and his friends are a character playing their, out their own story. Which is true for most of the prophets, actually, if you, if you go and look at them. They're all, most of them, quite extravagant. I mean, if you look at uh, Elijah and Elisha, the amount of miracles and I mean, extravagant mm. supernatural power that they carried. Mm. Um, Isaiah, for instance, uh, also great in prophesying the Messiah, and so if you look at most of these prophets, they were, they were magnificent and superb to look at and read about. Mm. But they were all kind of lone figures, somewhat mm. isolated from the nation of Israel. There to serve the nation of Israel, mm. but not involved, if we, one can put it that way. They're almost standing apart in the storyline from the Israelites, the Jewish people, forms a background. Mm. 
Um, but it's not so with, with Samuel. Mm. Samuel and the nation are very much, this is a, the one prophet, one judge that are very much part of, Definitely. very much like Moses. Definitely. Um, I think Definitely. he's right up there with Moses Definitely. as far as um, the context is mm. concerned. Because even if one considers the other judges, obviously they were more than the prophets were more involved with the nation because that was the reason they were there. But even them, you, you get a sense of them also kind of walking a road alongside mm. with the Israelites. And, and kind of doing their own thing. Yes. Yeah. So... You know, Samson, I think, is the greatest one that kind of, you kind of feel his separateness. He's there, yeah. but he's not with them. He's yeah. alongside them, kind of thing. He kind of um, represents the full picture of what a judge should have been. Samuel. Yeah. So Gideon, for instance, he judged the people. Mm. And he was for the people, but you also get kind of an idea towards the end of the story that he's... He's called by God mm. because the people needed a, a savior, yes. a judge, a, a warrior, a leader. Yes. And he continues to judge them, but he kind of lives his own life for himself as well. Yes. His life's not necessarily that dedicated yes. in full to the people. Mm. Uh, Samson, I mean, Samson, you think of Samson as a judge. He has all the supernatural stuff. He has... You could liken him to Hercules in Greek mythology. He's almost more legend than man. And yet his judging of the people doesn't seem to take form. No, not really. Not really. And he's not really defending the people as no, much as he's doing his own yeah. thing uh, in the end of the day. So he's really living yeah. for himself. Yeah. Although he was set apart the same way that Samuel yes. was set apart. Also in a very supernatural uh, specific predestined way. But you get the sense Samuel, Samuel is living for the people. Definitely. And not the other judges. Uh, if you think Isaiah, you think prophecy. Yeah. Um, of, of, of Messiah. Definitely. Jeremiah. But I think this is sorry for interrupting yeah. you but I think this is something that we'd like to lift out about this man Samuel because someone says the name Samuel and immediately there's almost like a godly reverence that goes with it. You, mm. There's a sense of respect. One knows that this character as far as biblical history was larger than life and extremely important. But if you just sit back and think about his life, mm. himself, he himself wasn't necessarily as spectacular as some no. of, of as some of his contemporaries. So, for instance, Isaiah. Immediately, you think prophecy of the Messiah. You know, like he saw things, he mm. knew things. Ezekiel. Ezekiel, vision into the spirit. I mean, that was extravagant. Even Daniel, his life was there were supernatural, spectacular things that happened. Jeremiah, you think rebuke, warning the Lord, mm. put him aside to warn the people. Mm. And then, if you look at uh, well, Elijah and Elisha, I mean, we don't have to... That was wonderful. Whenever. But also kind of on their own. Exactly. Lone wolves. <laughs> They're representing uh, the prophetic voice that turns, that's supposed to turn people yes. of God back to God. Um, but, so but the it interaction like coming is, in from the side, warning the people, and then living on the side. Yeah. And it's almost like the nation doesn't really accept the authority of the other judges so they'll come to the judges mm. uh, the judge was literally a person if they had disagreements or legal issues 
Definitely. They would come to him. Oh, definitely. And, and what did a judge do? A judge was supposed to know the ways of God, the word of God. So what they had would have been the Torah. Yes. That's it. So they would have had... So the Torah is not just law. The Torah represents God's covenantal interaction with people. Yeah, because remember it includes, it includes Genesis. It includes the story of the Exodus. So it's not just the law. So they've, so got, they've got Genesis, the story of origin, yeah. the story of the flood. So again, God's judgment mm. features very strongly in, in what they have. Yes. Uh, covenant with Abraham... Um, all of that, mm. they, they, have a, they would have to have a deep sense of the legal aspects of covenant and God's interaction with man and how, what it would look like to be just mm. and to be obedient. Mm. So a, a, a judge would, in the case of Samuel, he would go around in a circular route. Mm. People would know at a certain time of the year he'd be in a certain place. And the people of that area would have an opportunity to take their grievances or their disputes. Um, say it was a land dispute mm. or an inheritance dispute. They would take it to him. And he would have the know-how, the knowledge, and because of the Holy Spirit at least being upon them. Mm. Um, there was an aspect of they understood he had wisdom with authority. Yes. Now, this is what judges were supposed to be, and there's no better picture of this being um, true and, and, and lived out. There's no better example than Samuel himself. Exactly. Not so much most of the other... I mean, Moses would have been the first picture yes. of that. So a judge would literally sit somewhere mm. um, near an altar or under a tree or on a mountainside. Mm. Somewhere and, where the people um, knew to find them. That's right. But mm. now, the, a king enforces his authority in his yeah. judgments because he has an army. Yes. Which is also true for some of the other judges. Even if you think of some of them, like Gideon, yeah. there was and Jephthah and some of those guys, yeah. even Deb. Deborah. They, they had access to their armies. Yes, it's not their armies, but mm. there was a sense of, of strength and courage and they would lead the armies of Israel mm. into victory kind of thing exactly. as the representative of God. Yeah, but, but, so but it's different for a king. Oh, a no, king has um, executive command over the army. Yes. Where the judges didn't really, that yeah, wasn't no, officially yes. installed. So I'm thinking just of judgment. If um, a person didn't do what the judge told them. True. It's a very interesting <laughs> system that God puts in place. And that, yeah. I mean... Think about, think about it for a moment. So the Israelites come through the Jordan. Mm. And they've just arrived in <laughs> Canaan, the promised land. Mm. So now, now they're through the water. God tells them to get a few stones from the bottom of the, the river. And they have to kind of install it one on top of the other. Mm. And they circumcise people there at um, Gilgal. Gilgal. And so the people are circumcised now. <laughs> Inheritance time. <laughs> so, so what do we do now? Imagine. Because yeah. Joshua is now in some ways still the leader, but he's now led them into the promised land. So 
it says that he and Eliezer, the the high priest at that stage, they kind of are in charge of the allotment of all the inheritances, and then that's kind of it, job done. They're in the promised land now. So, so <laughs> Joshua is still going to judge and lead. So the okay, so so now the allotments are given, and and they go. I mean, I would have gone into a panic. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now all the tribes has to go and, and, and settle the land. <laughs> They're going to have some wars and some battles. Yeah. But there's no king. There's no parliament. There's no governmental system as such. They have an eldership. They do. Every tribe. And the mm-hmm. responsibility of the eldership is to oversee... Um, civil affairs mm. there's not too much information given about this it's almost like in the Bible God isn't that focused on how you organize yourselves you yeah. know I've given you the law all of you are supposed to organize yourselves mm. according to that if everybody sticks to the the laws you actually don't need somebody to watch over you mm. God will watch over you that's true because that's, that was the purpose of the law you do certain things, certain things happen. You don't do certain things, certain things don't happen or do happen. <laughs> so they're living under the rulership of God. Yes, governance. And the, the judge is not there to enforce the law. No. An interesting concept, mm. an interesting way that God governs. Very. Because he's not, like you're saying, the judge was never supposed to, to lead or govern. They were only supposed to act as a, a guide. Yeah. An interpreter of... Yeah. Of, if people wanted to know how to implement yes. the, the ways of God, the Word of God, the Torah, uh, or uh, needed guidance from God, I mean, they didn't necessarily come to Him and say, look, you're the prophet, we need to make a decision, now we need you to tell us what it is. Not even that. Mm-hmm. They no, needed was, to walk out yes. uh, in obedience. If if they obediently walked out the things of God, mm. God didn't necessarily... God. We've got to understand something. God is not uh, now bound to bless them. Oh, God, no. yeah. God can yes. bless them because of obedience. Yes. But He's not forced to bless them because of mm. obedience. And <laughs> God can at times enforce mm. discipline if there was disobedience. True. But God isn't forced to immediately in, enforce judgment or punishment if there was disobedience. And this mm-hmm. is what's very interesting in the in this storyline as yeah, we yes. start with 1 Samuel. We see a context of disobedience. And God allows this to carry on mm-hmm. for quite a while. And um, yeah. that's where we're going to actually pick up on the storyline. Yeah. But it's an interesting thing to take note of, that the disobedience continues. Mm. But I think before we go there, just to kind of close the, the starting thought, is that um, we just consider the man Samuel. In the details of his life and his walk, there were certain aspects like the anointing of the kings that was superb, that was great and wonderful. But in comparison to his contemporaries, his life was actually very 
ordinary for what yes. it was, for what he was. For what he was. Being both prophet and judge. And yet, we know that he carries this sense of respect and and so forth. And, um, and so what we'd like to kind of just start this off with is... We know certain prophets, certain judges, certain of these key figures in the Bible all carry something that makes them extraordinary. And the thing that Samuel carries that makes him such a larger-than-life figure is without a doubt the authority that, that he walks with. Uh, it's, not, it's not miracles, it's not power, it's not strength, it's not... It's not any of those things. Mm. It's a it's a God given authority, mm. and and we see that that He uses this um, towards and with the nation of Israel in such a humble way because He He serves as such a such a strong father figure, and so that's even a, a, a reflection of the kind of authority that He carries, mm. the respect that the people have for Him. But yeah, a very very strong father figure. Definitely. Uh, and fatherly attitude mm. and it's very interesting if you consider where it comes from but mm. we're going to look at that um, so just to, to make sure everybody gets the, the, the point we're making that I can't think of one miracle he doesn't do any miracles no miracles he, um, he doesn't always get prophecy right yeah it's not like he knows everything that's know going everything. to happen next yeah. no not even that um, and yet he's sharing if we look at the books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel he's sharing the stage mm. with some large large characters I mean key figures that define the history of the exactly. Bible exactly mm. Saul for the negative role he plays and, and the tragic end yes Saul is a big character yes um, I mean, he still is the first king of Israel, even for what happens. Exactly. He's the first king of Israel. He's a big character. And, um, and of course, King David. King David. <laughs> we don't big, have to say much. <laughs> character. And, and I, th I think we, we cannot forget, he shares the stage literally with the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, that's true. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> yeah. As far as... Um, Physically, anything representing the kingdom of heaven except for Yahushua himself. Mm. Probably yes. the most powerful object yes. on earth. I mean, it hosts the actual presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant, I think, although we never see the full explosive power that it represents <laughs> because it primarily represents the covenant, Yes. I think if you took the military power of the United States and put all of that together all their bombs, all their missiles all their military might yeah. Yeah, it, it would seem like nothing in comparison to the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> so, so yes the book of Samuel is sharing his story with these characters so that is why Samuel had to be a large character um, he's a big character I mean Nathan is a very important character Yes. But Nathan, Nathan's never a big character. No, he always, you, you don't really see an introduction or where yeah. he comes from or anything. And yet he's important as an advisor to King David. And we do see that he also plays somewhat of a key role. But 
Mm. Not like this. Not like uh, this. Jeremiah, for instance, the, the suffering prophet. Um, still in my mind, I don't know, maybe it's my personal perspective, never becomes a huge character, just a True. representative character. Almost. We know him as important yeah. because of retrospect. Yes. But in his time, for who he was... So Samuel, big mm. character. That's where we want to start. So that kind of sets the backdrop for what we're looking at, where we're going. Shall we start with the Samuel score? Okay, so we're reading from 1 Samuel chapter 3. I think, will you read for us? Yes. And show us, uh, or in, get us into the story. Yes. Okay, so uh, we're going to start with what is probably the most famous part of Samuel's life. Except for the, <laughs> Except for the, the King thing. David thing, the sword thing. <laughs> and the, um... Okay, one of the most important <laughs> events of Samuel's life. Okay. And we're going to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And this is where God calls Samuel. Um, now, uh, most of us know the story, so we're not going to read all of it. We'll just read some of the. Yeah, we'll, we'll backtrack to the start of the story now. We're we'll going to do that just now. So we're just going to start here to kind of get a focus. So, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, there was no widespread revelation. Okay, now, keep that in mind. Now, we're not going to read everything. We know how the story goes. It's night time. Eli and Samuel are asleep. Uh, God calls to Samuel. Samuel thinks it's Eli, runs to Eli, says, here I am. Eli says, no, didn't call you, lie down. Um, and we know this happens three, three four times. But, so let's just pick it up here from the middle of verse 6. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Mm. This is a key piece of information, which... We'll get back to. <laughs> but keep it in mind, because this forms a key part of the of the oh, storyline. Okay, so let's... There's no way of knowing, but he's a boy. Y- yeah. Ministering can, yeah. before Eli in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> yes. Okay. Says, in the tabernacle. Ministered to the Lord before Eli. Okay. So in some way he was involved. He couldn't go... As the sons of Eli couldn't be as as priests go into no. uh, and do the actual stuff, but he was still ministering to the Lord. <laughs> yes, he was working for God. But he didn't know God. But he didn't know God. <laughs> See, interesting piece of information. And this is also very important. It says, "And the word of the Lord was rare in those days." So it says both. In verse 1 and verse 6, 7, it says, The word of the Lord was yeah. rare in those days, and it has not even yet been revealed to Samuel. Now, Samuel, if he's 10 years old, mm. this is what Samuel knows. But it's quite interesting that they put in, because it's not just that the Lord was rare in those days, and Samuel did not yet know the Lord, because that, that's one thing. But they put such an emphasis on the word of the Lord being rare. 
And Samuel did not know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So you see, there's an interesting di- dynamic involved there. Hmm. Maybe we should have a look at what words were used here when they said the word of the Lord. We're going to have to go back to the Hebrew mm. and see what the Hebraic word specifically was. Yeah, because remember, this isn't... They don't have the Bible. <laughs> the book of Samuel is not written mm. yet. <laughs> and so it's not, it's not a case of they didn't have revelation about what the Bible said. And, so. and the story of Adam and Noah and Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt, that's not considered to be the Bible. That is their history. This okay. is what we or other nations would have as culture and mm. history. This is, this is where, they come from. where they come from. Exactly. So is this what it's speaking about? Could it be speaking about the law? Because, I mean, it, that could be because mm. there's times when the law is lost and they have to read it again. So what are they talking about if they say that the word of the Lord was rare in those days mm. and the word of the Lord was not yet revealed to Samuel? And there was no widespread revelation. I think um, let's pause the teaching and go see what the Hebraic words were, and then we can tell them later what it was. Okay, let's okay. do that. Right, so we're looking at the verse, chapter 3 of 1 Samuel and the first verse, and then also what is said in verse 7. And we wanted to see the word, the, yeah. the word, word. Yeah. What, what do they mean when they say the word of the Lord? What was the original translation or intent or idea? And it it's basically it boils down, if you look at the Hebrew and the meaning and the words used, it boils down to what one would think it would mean, also in context to, to the circumstances mm. uh, that we are looking at. Mm. And basically, so, in verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelations. And so this is what, uh, what's that, go to the word? Okay, yeah, so, bar. so the word for, for word is, yeah. Uh, dabar. Dabar, yeah, it comes dabar. from the Hebrew, from the Hebrew root word dabar. Mm. Which means speech. Just speech, speech or words. So with other words, this is saying that uh, God was quiet in that time. So he didn't speak. So they had the written word, but not the spoken word. Yeah. So the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So God did not speak either through his, his servants or, or he didn't speak himself. So it says it was rare. Now the word rare, interestingly, mm. is not just that it was uncommon. Mm. The word that is used used here, yakar, yakar or something like that, mm. it actually is rare in the sense of uh, finding a diamond or uh, something valuable. Like so something prized like mm. a treasure, precious stone or jewel, glorious splendor, weighty or influential. So that's the word rare. Mm. So it is the, the kind of thing where uh, have you ever picked up any valuable stone like a diamond or a sapphire? Have you ever found one? No. 
Have you? Well, I've been looking. <laughs> Ever found a treasure chest? No. No, I found fool's gold. Several times. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not prophetic. But anyway, so. So this is the word rare. Mm. So we could say that it's not saying that it was completely absent. Yeah. No. Yes. But it, if something happened, anything came from God's side, it was like finding yeah. a treasure. Exactly. Which doesn't happen. So it also wasn't, it wasn't that it was just uncommon and, oh, it happened sometimes. When it happened, it was valuable, it was prized, it carried weight, it was important. Yes, and it says that Samuel, the boy Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli. Now, the name Eli mm. gives us, uh, it's so ironic. Very ironic. The name Eli means ascension. ascension ascension so and and we'll speak a bit later a little bit about who eli is significant character just to finish verse one also so it was rendered there was no widespread revelation just revelation actually comes from the word uh, vision like visions to, to see yeah so and actually the root word that that comes from is behold so, not only was the Lord not really speaking, He also wasn't giving any visions or supernatural revelation from His side. So, you could say He was somewhat quiet, absent. So, this sets the stage for, for the calling of Samuel. Yeah. Uh, this communicates very graphically um, a situation where the tabernacle is at Shiloh. Shiloh, yeah. Um, the tabernacle is at, is, at, is at Shiloh, and there's a high priest, um, and we might as well just go there now. Eli, Let's do it. Eli, the high priest, is a direct grandson of Aaron. Yes. So Aaron had four sons. Four sons. Two of them are killed by the Lord. Because of the profane fire incident. Yeah. So and he has two, two of them sons are still left. alive. Yeah, so he has the two sons that are left. The eldest is Eleazar who becomes high priest after Aaron, and his brother Ithamar. And um, after Eleazar dies, uh, we don't know why, but uh, the high priesthood then passes to his brother Ithamar. Mm. And then Eli actually comes from this line, from Ithamar's So the, the line. second brother, the youngest brother's yes, line. Yes, so like the, the fourth brother basically of mm. all Aaron's sons. So Eli comes from that line. Um, the high priesthood. But the point is, he's a descendant of Aaron, which in the context of where the Israelites are, this makes him royalty. This is nobility. <laughs> Up until today, um, the Jews, mm. whenever a Jew comes into a shoal somewhere, uh, his position, where he's going to be seated and how he's going to be seen is not how often he comes to, to church. Or even how active he is in um, worshiping God, mm -hmm. a Jew can go into a shawl once a year wow. and because of his surname. Wow! Uh, he would get an honored seat because of the position that his uh, family name would hold. Wow! Up until today. Now, if you looked at this time period and being an, an Israelite, being a direct descendant of Aaron basically makes you you have the best name of all names that's where you're going to go I mean if you were a descendant of 
Joshua, I suppose it would be. Yeah, that's also quite in a position, noble. But it's not an active position. Yeah. And so we're looking at Eli. His chances of ever being a high priest were slim if he just had to be up to birthright. He's the youngest of four sons. Isamar. Exactly. Yes. I mean, he's the youngest, he's the descendant of the youngest of four sons. Yes, yes. So Ithamar was never supposed to be no. high priest, <laughs> but he still ends up being high priest. Mm. The more important, he's going to be a high priest when they go into, we've got to check, but anyways, he's going to be a high priest. Now, is Eliezer the high priest that goes with Joshua into, into and the And that's his son. No, so Eliezer and Joshua do the allotment. Mm-hmm. And then they both die. And then the high priest goes to his brother, oh, Ethan. Right. So it's after they're in the promised land After they're in the promised land already. See, so he's, he's, he's then basically high priest in the promised land already. Okay, and Eli comes from there. That the ascension name would probably have something to do with going up the little steps. Could be. And also remember, Eli's not only high priest, he's also a judge. He's also a judge. So he's judging Israel. Mm. Now we're tarrying on this to, to, to let everybody into... This is significant. Okay? Mm. This is a man of influence, of power. He carries the name. He's a direct descendant of Aaron. Mm. And um, so this little boy, Samuel, is serving the Lord, um, ministering to the Lord before Eli. It's, it's a big deal. It is. And, but it makes it very clear that now God is going to call Samuel. We all know the story. Eli, his sight has already grown dim. It's just before the lights, the, 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 the lights burns out in the, in the tabernacle. Uh, tabernacle. And um, they're already in bed. And God calls Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel gets up. He goes to Eli. says, you've called me. Eli says, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. I didn't call you. And um, and then Eli has the the wit mm. to realize that okay, wait, the Lord is the Lord is calling, which is also quite profound in a sense because of the word of the Lord being so rare in those days. So for Eli to actually understand that this is what's happening, um, I think gives us a bit of insight into to where Eli was. But we don't have to tarry on that too much. Anyway, so Eli realizes this is. This is God speaking. Mm. Send Samuel back. It to says, him. then Eli perceived mm. that the Lord had called the boy. Now, it's almost like, okay, he's realizing it. Uh, I mean, you would actually, it's, it's actually uh, also kind of quite ironic that we're surprised that Eli actually realizes what's going on. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a descendant of Aaron, he's the high priest. It, it shouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't be surprising. Plus, he is the judge. Yeah. So this is the scene that is set for the calling of Samuel. We're in a time where the Israelites are going about their lives. And um, the, the tabernacle is there in Shiloh. There's a high priest, a direct descendant of Aaron, and his two sons serving uh, at, the, at the temple. Now later on, uh, we'll look now, there was a scene where Hannah comes and it says that Eli was sitting at the entrance on his little bench. Now, imagine the scene. A direct descendant of Aaron mm. sitting at the entrance. entrance to the tabernacle of God. The Ark of the Covenant is there. But they've grown used to it. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, no God is there. People are still bringing their sacrifices, bringing their vows. We'll look at that now. Uh, Samuel's father, Alkana, and 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 his family, they will come down once a year. Faithful. Faithful to bring sacrifices, but it's more like a family outing. Yes. Really. I mean, they're not expecting. They're not expecting anything significant to happen. Mm. Um, they're going to have a bring their meat, do their sacrifice, have a bride, <laughs> have a picnic, um, and then they're going to go home. They're going to tell their kids maybe some of the stories, mm. um, but they're not expecting anything mm. to happen. Not from God's side. No, no they're going nobody, to do what they do. Exactly. And they're going to go home. Mm. Nobody is expecting anything to happen, really. Mm. Um, and we'll see how the fear of the Lord has gone. Yes. From people. Um, and I think Eli and his sons are just a representative picture yes. of the state of God's people that are now living in the promised land. Definitely. They have the backdrop of God revealing himself to them in Egypt mm. through the travels through the wilderness with all the miracles, mighty deeds, Moses departing, uh, separate, the water depart, uh, separating, and all of those things. And now they've been in the promised land. Remember, they came through, uh, there was this moment that we could just imagine where they go like, okay, what now? Yeah. What now they've got to go settle the land. They've got to fight wars fight enemies farm and here we are in this point in the story where mm. they, they've settled the land mm. yes there's enemies now and then but you yeah, know, they've got the Ark of the Covenant and God is fighting for them and they know about God and but no. not an active relationship no and here in the dark of night God speaks. <laughs> to a and boy. The first word he speaks is Samuel. Um, and I think this is why we're dealing with such a large character. And this is also just, I mean, because Samuel's name is, uh, I think in, in Hebrew you pronounce it Shamuel, Shamuel, is uh, heard by God. Or even name of God. Or even name of God, because they're not sure where the Shema, Shama part comes from. Mm. So it might either be name of God or heard by God. If it's name of God, if we accept that as a possibility, then it brings a very interesting aspect in the reading of the uh, of the volume of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Sure. Because Samuel uses, the he employs the use of the name of God to convey part of the story. True. Um, the word Yahweh is not used in relation to King Saul because the name Yahweh is the covenantal name of God. So the covenantal name of God becomes very important in its usage in mm. these books. The God of Israel is here employed to point towards God's role, his position mm. as the God of their nation. He looks after them, protects them. Mm -hmm. And then he will very specifically use Lord of Hosts wow. or Yahweh of Hosts. Yes. 
the one that is going to fight for them. Yes. And it's interesting in the context of the story because he will employ the name Lord of Hosts yes. even when God doesn't give them victory. That's true. And later on we're going to look at when the Ark of God is taken mm-hmm. away by the Philistines. And this is where the use of the names of God prophetically becomes very significant. Mm. And so I think that's very interesting as well because this is God being quiet. The Israelites, really the Jews living in the land, they're going about their day. Eli is already old. But the, the word of God, the visions of God, the interaction of God, that's, not, that's forgotten. It's not expected. And God steps back onto the scene. Speaking to a boy, maybe 10 years old and um, 11 years old, most probably. And, uh, and he says, Samuel. Mm. And uh, we'll look at what happens, but let's backtrack. Let's mm. go to, who is this boy? Where does he come from? We know the story, but we are going to go through the story because there's prophetic um, secrets, mysteries, hidden in the text. Yeah. This whole thing, the whole story, is a prophetic message. The entire thing, especially when it comes to Samuel and his life, and the way that it, so remember the we highlighted the word of the God was not known; it was quiet uh, for a very good reason. It has to be this way because God is going to determine every detail of the story. <laughs> so now there was a certain man of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Yeroham. Funnily enough, Elkanah means bought by God, possession of God. Um, and I can't remember the third one, but yeah. So when they introduce Elkanah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they already kind of threw his name, yeah. uh, setting up the stage for something very special to happen. Mm. So Alcona with his two wives and his children, he's going to come down to where the tabernacle is in Shiloh. Mm. And they do this yearly. And they're going to, he's going to bring his sacrifices and uh, fulfill his vows to the Lord. Now this is an interesting aspect of vows. Remember that the Lord teaches us do not make vows. Yes. In this case, they were making vows and they had to pay their vows. Yes. Well, in the Old Testament, it wasn't wrong. No, it, it was still valid. It was good. still okay. So this, this helps us to understand what he says, don't make vows. So in this case, Alkana would bring a, an extra kind of vow offering, mm. which means that under certain circumstances, he would make a deal with God. Mm. He would make a vow that if... if if I if it went well with me in this area or oh, something, yes, did that. then I would bring an extra offering to the Lord on a yearly basis. It wasn't a direct relational interaction with God. It was just kind of it's kind of the way that people walk out their faith these days, <laughs> isn't it? It's it's the concept of what faith is now. Yeah. Is I'm going to just do this, and I'm going to trust it's okay with God, mm. and then I'll I just have to carry on. Yes. You know, I'm just going to do what I said I was going to do and believe that... Um, it won't be the so outcome he, that I want. <laughs> he came to pay his vows. Um, and he would give a portion. Okay, I'm going to read it. Um, so, at the tabernacle, the two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, 
the priests of the Lord were at the tabernacle and now this man with his family is going to come up uh, to the city of Shiloh to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts of Shiloh. Um, now the man Elkanah, he would come to make offerings and he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all his sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. Now, okay, obviously, there's an obvious hint already. <laughs> obviously, this is... If ever there's yeah. a story of a woman and the Lord has closed her womb, we know something's going to happen. <laughs> but we're not going to explain exactly what it is, because it, it, on the last Sunday we're going to start yeah. to bring all the prophetic messages together. But just, Take everyone note. knows that's a hint. <laughs> Double portion, and there's a woman whose womb but, the Lord had closed. Hmm. Right, and the other woman provokes her. Uh, so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that uh, that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Right then, Alcana, we at in verse eight. Then Alcana, husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah rose after that, finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the door, doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord, and wept in anguish. Now it's very important to note that here, in the text, uh, if, if it was Samuel that writes this, mm. he employs the name of God very specifically. Mm. Okay, here already he's going to comment on the righteous disposition yes. of Hannah in relation to covenant. Wow. And in relation to God the defender. Mm. Uh, so this is covenant talk that's taking place here. So he's yeah. referring specifically to the Lord of hosts and the word that was translated Lord here is Yahweh. So he's ah, using the covenantal name of God. Wow. Remember the name that is not used in relation to Saul. Yes. So he's already setting the stage that uh, there's a positive response towards Hannah. Okay. Covenantal positive response. And you see, we could read over it, but because this is a time of relative peace, God has not been speaking, there's no visions, there's no act from God's side. Why is he employing the name Yahweh of hosts? Yeah, because the first book of Samuel is the first place where it's used. Why not Elohim or one of those? See, he's conveying a message. This is prophetic talk. Mm. Okay, so she prayed and wept in anguish. Can you read from 11 for us? Yes. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. Why? Why is she's not saying, Lord, my father? Yeah. She's not saying. Oh, God of creation. Or Elohim. Yeah. Or one of those. She's, she's praying from the outset, Lord of hosts. Yeah. The one that goes before, the, the one that fights for, the one that 
So she's she's evoking his his Maybe. absolute authority mm. and power and might mm. here. Um, and this is a woman that's just going to pray about wanting a son. It's not it's it's not a matter of national security. No, there's no war. <laughs> no. This is this is not. It is uncommon. It's true. It's significant. It's almost if someone had to hear her pray this prayer and use that name, it would almost be like she's she's doing the wrong thing. It's, it's almost like bordering on blasphemy. Almost. And so, let's carry on from there. Okay. So she made a vow, verse eleven. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maid servant and remember me, and not forget your maid servant, but will give your maid servant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Interesting prayer. She's asking first of all that he would look upon her, yeah. look upon a certain disposition, and then she places herself in a certain position towards God. Mm. Maid servant. So she's in this pledging her servitude towards yes. the Lord. Not only asking favor as covenant daughter or daughter of Abraham or, you know, you she's called an Ephraimite. Us. Yeah. Well, she's married to an Ephraimite. She's married to an Ephraimite. She could, she could stand on that right. But, and I mean, but it doesn't, she doesn't take any of those positions. She just goes, maid servant. Now, this is already linking towards New Covenant talk. Mm. It's the way that, um, it's, it's Paul's disposition. Yes. A bond servant. Yes. And this is very important. She's literally, she's literally humbling herself to God according to covenant. Mm. So she has a heart that is a covenantal heart. This is a covenantal attitude. And this is very important mm. um, to understand. This is, she's already uh, committing herself to a life of servitude, whatever that might mean. Yes. And now, she's going to devote, if God would give her a son, she would give the son to God. Which seems like a strange thing to do. Why do you ask for a son to give him away? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now you see, this is so unusual mm. that I'm going to wager that she's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Okay. Okay, and it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Wait, I almost missed this. We're going to go back quickly to, um, she says, but will you give your maid servant a male child? Specifically, not just, I want She a has child. no children. She's not saying, I will take anything you give me. <laughs> no. She's saying, if you will give me a male child. With other words, it has to be a male child because otherwise I can't fulfill my vow. Yes. Specifically a male child. Then, uh, she's not saying so that I can have grandchildren. Mm. But she's going to do something even more significant. She says, I will give him to Yahweh. It's translated the Lord. But here again, Yahweh is employed as the... Mm. Now she's saying, I will give him to the covenant. I will give wow. him to the God of covenant. Wow. And that's very important. 
Okay, all the days of his life. All the days of his life, huh? It's also quite an intense thing to do. Okay. Um, verse 30. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. We've decided not to go there, right? So okay. Eli <laughs> said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my lord. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. Covenant talk. Covenant talk. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Now, this is very important. She's. <laughs> that the, uh, remember the contrite spirit? Yes. Okay. And she's basically answering, says, I'm a person of contrite spirit. That's what she's doing. But then she's saying something very interesting because it is. it could happen that a believer, a person. Yeah. Um, because of circumstances, becomes um, saddened in spirit, yes. afflicted in spirit. Yes. But and this is where uh, we want to. We don't want to go into deep teachings with this series as far as um, our behavior and correctional behavior, because we've been paying a lot of attention in previous over the last year, two years, three years to mm. that. But I'm still going to note that. This is one of those great tests of faith, is in her being afflicted in spirit. Mm. She very clearly says she did not turn to wine. She mm. did not turn to... Uh, she remained sober, remained afflicted, afflicted in spirit. Yeah. But she didn't go and try and... Uh, and this is where we... We're not talking about the wine. We're talking about when affliction of spirit happens, our attitude, our disposition, mm. our mm. disposition. And she turns to the Lord with humility, uh, with trust, yes, um, with servitude, yes, with devotion. She's going to ask of the Lord what she desires most and needs most. And yet give it back to the Lord. Yes. And um, uh, this is where we want to learn a lesson from this. There's, from the start, references to Hannah uh, infers that there's covenantal attitude from God and mm. from her. And we see there's going to be favor. Mm. And um, the favor comes obviously in line with God's perfect will yes. anyways. But she could have messed everything up. By going into self-pity. Yes. Complaining. She could have. She could have complained to the Lord. Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. She could have gone and complained to Eli. She could have complained to her husband. She could have been fighting with Elkanah. Exactly. Like, keep your double portion. She could way. have gone into the thing like Rachel and Leah. The whole, you know. Exactly. So it's very important to, to, yeah. to, to point out here that she's making it very clear that, mm. no, I, I, I'm just seeking the Lord. But I think also even um, along with that is her attitude the moment she, 
she's done her prayer, she's brought her petition, she's made her request. Then it says she leaves, and it says she ate, she drank, and her face was no longer sad. And I think that's also that she's gone in faith with a contrite spirit, poured her heart and soul out before the Lord, confident that the Lord has heard her request because she's taken the attitude that she has, and now there's no longer reason to be sad. Whether the Lord grants her her petition or not, she's brought it, it is what it is, and there's no longer reason for her to, to be in anguish. She did achieve something, and this is something... God does use the human authority in this case again. He's not just going to do his thing. Mm. Eli, Definitely. inexplicably, says the Lord has granted you your petition. And Definitely. he is still carrying the highest authority, spiritual yes. authority in the land. Judge and high priest. And uh, grandson of Aaron. Yes. So she's walking away and she's going like, well, you know, this." I went to the grandson of Aaron, uh, the high priest, he told me, God grants your petition. Okay, so now this is a process of faith that goes from strength to strength. Mm. Um, she starts out with a faithful um, first step. Mm. And now she's leaving her faith strengthened and bolstered. Yes. Um, but I think just because you have done teachings on, on the concept of bringing your petitions and then mm. letting it be. Anyway. And so this is where the story now unfolds. And so they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And we'll see later on that Samuel is going to live in Ramah as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously there's... He, he looks like he, he receives a portion from his father. Definitely. Well, an inheritance. even though he's not the firstborn son, he's... One of two firstborn sons, so I guess... They so, would so to her, to her, his firstborn. To her, his firstborn son. So mm. whatever would have been her inheritance or her portion, yeah. probably would have, some of that would have been passed on to, to Samuel, because he's still a kind of son. Especially if she's still going to receive double portions. Yes. Okay. And so they knew each other, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I've asked for him from the Lord. Okay, so now, Elkanah and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifices and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned them. Only let the Lord establish His word. What's her wisdom? Hmm? Interesting thing to say, though. Yeah. Remember, the word of the Lord was not widespread. True. The word of the Lord was silent, rare. Okay. <laughs> I get goosebumps. Something that you could so easily miss. Arcana prophesies. Arcana prophesies. They have evidence. She prayed. Yes. The high priest confirmed, and now she's holding the baby. Yes. Now, this baby she has promised to the Lord. To the Lord. And now Arcana says, only let the word of God 
be established. Wow. Let the word of Yahweh, only let Yahweh establish His word. Again, the wow. covenantal. Okay, so she weaned them. And then she took him with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the child to Eli. And he said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord, praying to Yahweh. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. They worshipped Yahweh there. And this is setting the stage for one of the most significant uh, pieces of uh, scriptural um, unfolding. Mm. Where God is going to use a man's life uh, to reveal his will, to establish prophetic unfolding, mm. um, to actually again witness to covenants and yes. the fulfilling of the covenant. Um, so when God calls out to Samuel, uh, it's in the context of He's going to now take a next step in a step in a plan that seems to be his will. Yes. Okay, so God isn't just he's decided it's time for him to speak and act. <laughs> now who shall we use? Eli. Eli, can you still see anything? <laughs> Can't use a Yes, Lord. <laughs> uh, luckily there's an kind of an orphan boy around. Yeah, let's use the kid. Who is there? Oh, those two, Eli's two sons, they no. used It's going to say somewhere that God didn't want them to repent, He wanted to kill them. Yeah. God's intention was to kill them. Yes. When, when Eli tries to correct, correct his sons, it says they didn't heed the words of their father because God wanted to kill them. God exactly. doesn't grant them repentance. So God doesn't want them to turn around anymore. Yep. But God is going to call out to the sun. So let's just put this in place. This boy is born. Because he has to be prophet and judge. He's born because God predestines this person to be Samuel. Um, and Samuel is going to do significant things, but he's born to do them. Mm. So we're looking at predestination. We're looking at predestination on, in, in the most pure form that you can find it. Okay, so what are we looking at? A woman that has a closed womb, no children. Now, whenever God wants to make predestination and <laughs> destiny very, very clear, he, he uses this kind of picture. So we have Sarah with a promise of a son and um, no children. Mm, who else? 
Well, didn't Rachel also struggle first? Struggle with have children. Samson's mother couldn't have children. John Elizabeth, the you know, John the Baptist's mother couldn't have children. Mm. Why? So we know that eventually the um, Messiah Yahushua mm. would be born by God's perfect will mm. to a virgin. Mm. Which is like the reversal. <laughs> now we we know that when it comes to the one of the major important factors in God's plan, the seed, we know that the seed has to be born by the will of God. By the promise. By the promise but by the direct will of God. Yes. Yes. Okay, now, the humanity out there, they believe that all people are born according to the perfect will of God. God has to give life. Now, these things are in the Bible as, as an antidote, as a, and a balance to that point of view. Mm. See, the other women... Alcana's other wife, she had sons and daughters. Okay, it's almost like they're there, and it's great. It's still Alcana's mm, children. Yeah. His lineage. God, God had nothing to do with that. It was all Alcana. <laughs> okay, God had nothing to do. But God is directly involved yeah. in yeah. the existence, the life the destiny, the positioning mm. of Samuel. See, Samuel couldn't just be born. No. She had to go through this. She had to... God wanted the prophet. Yes. Let's just get behind this, <laughs> the truth of the story. God wanted the prophet. And God had prepared for himself a prophet. Yes. He wasn't just going to pick someone. No. And uh, so this story is God's doing. Definitely. So while they're still thinking God's doing nothing. God's quiet. No one's hearing from God. He's not really that involved behind the scenes. God is setting up for himself a grand entrance <laughs> back into this story. And it all starts with the boy being conceived and born because he was asked from God. And <laughs> the plan is quite big. This guy is going to have to go and win kings, chop people to pieces and do stuff. But he, God is going to make it very, 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 very clear that the God of covenant, Yahweh, um, is going to confirm first prophetic layer. He's going to confirm the seed. Yes. His seed. And that's why it is contrasted with the other women having many children. Mm. And this one having her womb closed. Mm. Because she couldn't have this baby anywhere else, in any, under mm. any under, other circumstances. Yeah. It had to happen in this way. Now this means that she had to be motivated and inspired by the Holy Spirit to... Find faith, find inspiration, find clarity of vision and understanding mm. to come and pray, but not just pray, pray the right prayer. Yes, in the right way. In the right way, in the right time, in the right place. Not 
10 years before, not 2 years before, in the right time, right mm -hmm. moment. She had to have the baby in time so that it wasn't too late. Because <laughs> Eli, Eli, Eli couldn't die before. Yeah. He had to, Eli had to be at the right juncture in his life. Right? Um, because it's going to take a while for Samuel to be old enough. So the timing has to be perfect. The place has to be perfect. The people handpicked by God, Alcona, God is going to possess and own mm. this boy that carries the seed. Mm. His possession. His possession. Mm. But he's not a Levite. What is he doing in the temple? In the tabernacle? He's not a Levite. He's an Ephraimite. And we're going to look at that next Sunday. Well, two Sundays. Shall we read now where, what he has to, when God speaks to him? So he calls him. Now God's going to speak to him for the first time. To this little boy. He's probably about 10, 11 years old. Read for us. Okay. So... We pick it up at chapter 3, verse 8 again. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. And now this is... So everyone, we all know it's, it's extravagant, significant, spectacular. The Lord calls to a boy in the middle of the night. How wonderful, how magnificent. We all wish this was it. But now, look at what the Lord says to him. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Now this is really great. So the boy, okay, so, so Eli says, if he calls again, just says, Lord, your servant hears. hears. I'm, I'm, I can hear you. Yeah. I can hear you. Speak. You can speak to me. Mm. Okay. So... What a wonderful moment, the light <laughs> shines through the room. And I mean, let's just, it says in all fairness, now the Lord came and stood and called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Now, wonderful, he's calling out his name. The Yahweh that Samuel doesn't know. No, Samuel doesn't know this God. He's been serving him all his life. Now God speaks to him, and what does he say? A little boy. And he's going to say, Samuel, I know you miss your mommy and your daddy. Samuel, Don't worry, mommy. I love you, Samuel. Samuel, son. Son. My boy. 
Don't worry, I'm your daddy. I'm your father. I'm your father. <laughs> Don't feel alone. Don't be afraid. You know my voice. <laughs> This is me. <laughs> He doesn't need that. No words of affirmation. At all. No, no, you know what? This is what actually happened. He's going like, Samuel, what you don't know is you are going to be a very mighty important. and important prophet of the Most High God, Yahweh. And I will use you for my glory mighty and what you will speak. And, wonders, and you will leave a legacy of power and authority. <laughs> I will look after you, my son. I will prosper you in this land. None of your words shall fall to the ground. <laughs> no, this is... <laughs> I mean, not What happens? He doesn't even introduce himself. He doesn't even go, Samuel, I know yeah. you don't know my voice, but I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the proper way. That's, that's the way. That's the script. He <laughs> doesn't script. even do that. This is Samuel. He deserves at least a proper introduction. And he's a boy. <laughs> uh, yes, speak. God goes, Judgment. Is spoken. This is what happens. This is what happens. Mm. He's not going to affirm that he's love and truth and goodness. Mm. He's not going to edify no. and encourage Samuel. Mm. Samuel's first interaction with God is he encounters God the judge. Yes. And I think this is beautiful, because oh, if yes. Samuel is going to become probably the greatest of the judges of yes. Israel, his first impression of God is God the just, the righteous, the fair judge. and the truthful. Mm. And um, I think this is perfect. Perfect. Not maybe in that moment for... Samuel, but this is with Samuel basically starts the most significant part of his discipling, his yes. preparation. This is the first thing he knows of God, yeah. truly, of God's character. And this is after he's been serving him in the tabernacle. The first encounter that he has is that God is a just judge. And God is not speaking to Samuel about him. No. He's not speaking to Samuel about his great destiny and his plans for him. He's not even mentioning anything about anything about Samuel. He just says his name. That's says it. his name. And then God gets to the point. <laughs> Fairly quickly. <laughs> no small talk. No. Just gets to the point. Almost like they're in the middle of a conversation already. Yeah. It seems that way. Out of eternity, just this moment out of outside of time, just manifests. Mm. And he, when God is finished, does He give Samuel any instruction? No. Does He tell him what He wants Samuel to do? No. He just gives him a piece of information. He just reveals His will. And his judgment to and him. And his righteousness. And that's it. That's it. Doesn't say, this is what I want you to do with this. Mm. It's not supposed to do anything with it. Just 
There you go. This is what I say. I'm going to be the Word. And the Word of God was not yet made known. known to Samuel. The Word of God was not known or widespread. And the first encounter, Yahweh just manifests Himself as the Word. The Word judgment, the word righteousness, the word straightforward, no word wasted, no extra word, just that and that's Samuel's call he just calls his name and then God proceeds Reveals into his purposes mm. into his will that's it no promises it's not saying, look the deal is this mm. no this is it. You have now just started your walk as prophet and judge. If you're going to be judged, let's talk judgment. Let's get to the point. Let's get to the point. Mm. It doesn't tell him to go do something. Mm. That's it. End of the story. We'll see. So I'll pick up again next You'll week. You'll get to watch the next um, installment of this next week. And we're going to record it now. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye-bye.